Well, in the movie Bruce Almighty, Bruce sees his life falling apart with one bad break after another, not to mention his own foolish choices in the midst of this contributing as well. As this happens and his life spirals downward, he comes to a point of crisis and decides to go for a drive. How many of you go for a drive to think and clear your head, right? I'm in that, uh, I'm in that camp also. Well, as we saw in the video clip, uh, he asks God for a sign to give him some indication that the terrible string of events that are taking place have a meaning or a purpose. And then signs are literally given to him in answer to his prayer. However, in the midst of him pleading, asking, looking to God, he's really not ready or wanting to see one if one is in fact given. Watching this movie, we presume one, the construction road signs are God speaking to him, the truck full of signs is God speaking to him, and crashing his vehicle into a post without a seatbelt and being able to walk out are all visible signs from God, potentially, in response to his prayer, but Bruce doesn't see it. He evidently can't see them. Why? Because Bruce is looking for something different, something different than the signs he's actually being given. And as funny and satirical as this clip is intended to be, its humor is found in its truth. Many of us, if not most of us, when we have faced times of great difficulty and struggle, we have also asked God for a sign of some sort. This is not a crazy or an uncommon thing to do. I've done it. Sometimes signs are given and answers are revealed to us. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're answered without any miraculous event taking place. And sometimes when they are given, we still don't see them. People have been asking God or the gods for signs for as long as humans have existed on the earth. And God, the God, has answered these requests at times and given signs to people throughout the history of the world. In fact, God has sometimes employed a special type of person to give his sign. These people were called prophets. And sign-making was one of the tasks or the jobs that a prophet had to do for God. And that is this week's topic in our current sermon series called Man on Fire, which is about the prophet Isaiah and the different roles or jobs that he had as God's prophet. This week we are talking about the prophet as a sign-giver. Now before we jump into Isaiah, let's take a step back and let's ask the question, why do people ask God for signs? It's an important question. It's a necessary question because it does happen a lot. And while there are assuredly many different reasons that many different people in many different circumstances would give an answer to that question, I believe there's one main reason that ties almost all of these requests together, and it's this. It is their desire to hear personally from God. It is their desire to hear personally from God. And the reason people want to hear personally from God is because deep down in our soul as human beings, we all want to connect personally with God, who is our creator. The thinking, at least in part, if not in full, is this. If God shows me a sign, then I know God sees me, he sees my pain, he understands my dilemma and my suffering, 
and he can give meaning to it. Let me say that again. If God shows me a sign, then I can know that God sees me, he sees my pain, he understands my dilemma and my suffering, and he can give meaning to it. And that is incredibly important to the human soul. So if we're going to talk about signs and the prophet who gives signs and why God gives signs, when we need to talk about the kinds of signs that God might give. And there's two general types of signs that we see in the Bible that God gives. The first is what we call the sign act. Now, what is a sign act? The sign act is the sign that God gives for or through his prophet, which is not necessarily a supernatural sign, but something he asks them to do to convey a message that he's wanting to convey through his prophet to the people to whom he's speaking. We see this sign act in the life and in the person, the Old Testament prophet Hosea. In the second verse of the book of Hosea, we learn a little bit about the prophet and what God asked of him. He says this, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Yes, you heard correctly. God wanted his prophet, the holy man who would devoted his life to follow him, who was giving a similar message to the nation of Israel to know for himself what it was like to be married to a wife who betrayed him and sold herself to other lovers. Yay, sign me up. Just like Israel had been betraying God and their promise to be faithful to him in worshiping him had left that promise behind and was worshiping false gods, selling themselves to the false gods of the nations around them. Hosea marrying a prostitute was a sign act from God. Isaiah has his own sign act that's somewhat crazy as well. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, we read about the sign act that God asked of Isaiah. He says this, beginning in verse 2. At that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, and yes, this is in there, with buttocks uncovered. These are signs from God, where the prophets are responsible to convey part of God's message through their own misery and suffering. And I can only imagine how miserable either of those sign acts must have been. The second type of sign is one we might be more familiar with, and that's the miraculous sign. This is a sign where God intervenes in the natural world to accomplish something impossible by normal human effort. In the book of Judges, he asks a farmer to get named Gideon to lead Israel against the more powerful enemy, the Midianites. And in order to have the confidence to do this, Gideon asks for a sign and God gives him one. Moses, after he's led his, God's people Israel out of Egypt 
into the, the desert before heading into the promised land, they don't do really well with the, with the opportunity given to them. And they create trouble for God and they create trouble for him and he's not sure what to do and he's struggling and he, struggling deeply, asks God for a sign and God gives him a miraculous sign. These all lead us to the question that we will spend the rest of our time discussing today and that question is this. What is the purpose of a sign and the sign givers that give them? What is the purpose of a sign and the sign givers that give them? Well, our answer is threefold. Our answer is this. Signs from God affirm belief, they expose unbelief, and they reveal his power. They affirm belief, they expose unbelief, and they reveal God's power. Let's look at the first of those, affirming belief in God. For this, we'll go to Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 8, and... Uh, we're introduced to King Hezekiah. Uh, he was the one who saw the vision last week that Matt was talking about. Um, we meet him again in Isaiah 38. By the way, Isaiah's not very chronological, so they jump around. So if the chapters are off, that's part of the reason. But in Isaiah 38, beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go, and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Verse 8, behold, I will make the shadow Cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz, turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. Now, if you're wondering, there's a corresponding passage in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 11 that has the exact same, almost the exact same rendition. So you have it in Isaiah, a different author in 2 Kings, both of them confirming this what sounds like a pretty crazy event. King Hezekiah, who was a very good king in Judah by comparison to the many wicked kings of Judah, hears from Isaiah that his life is about to end. And it's not a bad thing if he's ready for his life to end, but he's not, and he's grieved. He pleads with Isaiah and with God for them to change their mind and to heal him from his illness, which will take his life, as he's been told. God hears Hezekiah's plea to live, and he says, okay. And to reassure Hezekiah, God gives him a sign. And the sign to Hezekiah is to move the shadow on the sundial in reverse. Now, you know, sundials only go in one direction because the earth only travels in one direction, thus making the sun move in the sky in one direction. But in this instance, he promises, oh, for 10 steps, I'll make the shadow go back the other way. How did God do that? 
The Bible doesn't say. In that moment, did God stop the earth moving around the sun and move it back in orbit in a different direction? Or was it more localized? Did God simply change the, the shadow or the darkness created by the dial and move it back one way over the other, not altering the, the movement of the earth around the sun? We do not know. What we do know is that God did something to fulfill his promise to Hezekiah. Hezekiah saw it, and his faith was affirmed as a result. At age 17, in May of my senior year, after growing up in church and professing faith in Christ as a, little, as a little boy, I had a recommitment experience in my life. It was the most significant spiritual moment uh, in my life. And in the summer that followed that, God just worked. He, he matured me. He, 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 he was merciful to me. He gave me wisdom, helped me grow up a little bit. He provided financially for me because I had college in the fall and didn't have any funds available for that. It was a wonderful spiritual time. But as fall hit, and I enrolled in college, I wasn't ready for the course that I had enrolled in, and things began to dip. And quickly, I was struggling, struggling with the workload, struggling with my grades, questioning, is this what I'm supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? God, things have been so good for those months. What about now? What do I do? And it led me one night, walking around the house, just crying out to God. And I can still remember, I sat down on the floor in the kitchen with only the street light from outside and the moonlight coming in the back door window above me with the refrigerator in front of me, just kind of staring out into wherever, saying, God, can you please help me? Show me a sign. Give me some assurance that I'm, I'm on the right path, that I'm, I'm where you want me. I'm doing what you wanted me to do. And then I waited, and I'm just staring, not knowing what I'm looking for, but is God going to do something? And after about a minute or two, all of a sudden, the spare key on the refrigerator started swinging back and forth. There was no window open. There was no door open. For about 15 or 20 seconds, this key just swung. And then rather than slowly end and come back to a stop, at one point it comes down and it stops dead south. You can imagine. I freaked ran upstairs and woke up my mom and dad. Hey, 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 you, you got you to, you know what God just did? And they're like, huh, what, huh, yeah, yeah, okay. And in the weeks and months to follow, as I told my friends, hey, I was, I was so upset and crying out and God did this thing. And I'm sure a lot of people that heard me thought, Jeremy's a little out there to begin with, but okay, whatever. <laughs> but I know what I saw that day. And it assured my faith you want to know the sad thing? I had forgotten that. It wasn't until I had to prayerfully consider, is there an example, is there a personal experience that it was brought back to my memory? It's been years since I thought of that. This morning, are you struggling with God? Are you not sure or feel like God's shown up for you? I want you to stop. I want you to think. I want you to let maybe the Holy Spirit bring back to your heart, to your mind, a time when God has been more than faithful, when God did show up in some way, at some time, and confirmed it in your heart at that moment, and you've forgotten. And as you're struggling here this morning, this is a reminder. This is God reminding you, I've been there for you. I love you. You can trust me.
That's what some of us need. We need to stop and be reassured in our faith through the sign or whatever it was that God has done for us. Others of us are here this morning. We don't have a moment like that. We're new in this journey with God, or we're still not. We've never quite been there to begin with. But he's out there. We're here. There's some kind of interplay. I just want to encourage you. Honestly, I want to encourage you. In humility, ask God to affirm your faith in him. Humble yourself and say, Lord, affirm my faith in you. Show me something. You determine. But affirm my faith and trust this path that I'm on to seek after you. It could be a person who's brought into your life. It could be an unexpected email or a phone call or a text. It could be a beautiful sunrise that all of a sudden has meaning that's never had. It could be the sunset. It could be a Bible verse that you hear that comes alive when maybe you've heard that verse many times before and it meant nothing. Who knows what God might do? It could be turning on your radio in the morning and hearing the right song at the right time, huh? Because that's what they advertise. And some people experience that. Joy FM, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about. That's what they advertise. And God does it. I've heard people say it was the song that I needed. I don't know. But if in humility you go before the Lord and say, Lord, affirm me, strengthen my faith, I can almost promise you that he will deliver in some way. He wants to affirm your belief in him. You might not get to choose the manner in which, but nonetheless, he wants to affirm. The second reason we get signs is to expose our unbelief in God. God also used Isaiah the sign giver to expose unbelief in a wicked king. In Isaiah 7, we're introduced to King Ahaz, and this is what is written in Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and he said this through Isaiah to the king. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, which means hell, or high as the heaven. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, initially, Ahaz's response sounds like it's a righteous, because we know the Bible does say, don't put the Lord to the test. And when we think, oh, Ahaz is a righteous person, but as you read on, you find out God knows Ahaz has no regard for God. And his reason for saying no to God isn't because he doesn't want to honor God. He wants nothing to do with God. He wants the pagan gods. He wants to do his own thing. And as you read in chapter 7, you, can, you understand that more fully. In this instance, God is using signs and miracles as a means to expose Ahaz's unbelief. Imagine getting the sign menu from God. Here's the sign menu. You get the appetizers, the main course, the dessert. You choose. No, no, God, I'm full. I've had plenty. What? Nobody would do that unless a total disregard for God. Fast forward 700 years, and it's different, but again, signs play a role in Jesus exposing unbelief in his adversaries on earth. The unbelieving Pharisees were asking Jesus for signs left and right, and yet he refuses to give them them. Why? Because they are refusing to see the signs and miracles that he's already accomplishing. Healing people, the feeding the 5,000, all the things he's doing, they rejected. Not as legitimate signs. All the Old Testament prophecies that he was fulfilling that they would have known about studying the Old Testament, they're rejecting. Truthfully, he knows their hearts. They have no intent on believing or accepting him, so he's not going to cater to their requests. In fact, he says as much in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. He says it very clearly. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Pretty straightforward, except for what's the sign of Jonah? Well, the sign of Jonah is this, resurrection from the dead. Jonah was a prophet, was running from God, hopped on a ship, the people on the ship at God's command, threw him overboard. He was literally swallowed by a big fish. He was dead for all intents and purposes. And miraculously, three days later, the fish spits him up on the shore of the place he was supposed to go to tell about God. In the same way, the sign of Jonah is foretelling that Jesus too will be consumed in death, in the tomb, and on the third day will be released again. That's the only sign he will give the Pharisees and those who won't believe. But it'll be enough to condemn. What does this look like for us today? Well, Paul writes about how we're, we're Pharisees, all of us. We're also indicted. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, speaking about mankind, all of us. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. God has. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God has made, they clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. The signs have been there. Another story of in my spiritual journey was a couple years later after that recommitment experience. I'm now 19 years old. I'm in the Marines. I'm stationed in Hawaii. I'd met a great Christian girl back in Pensacola a year earlier where I had been stationed. Tough life, right? Pensacola, Florida, Hawaii. The military was really hard on me during my time in there. Anyway, uh, God had a beach ministry for me, obviously. So there I am in Hawaii. It's, it's been about a year since I left, and there was a school back there that I was in line to go to three times. Three times I was on the schedule to go. Funding didn't come through one time. They forgot to submit the papers another time. And the third time they canceled altogether. And they were calling us up and they were sending us to Korea instead. And I sensed I needed to get back if this relationship was going to survive. We'd only had a month together. She was a Christian girl. but And oh, by the way, the only way I communicated with her back then, we wrote each other letters and I talked on the payphone on the weekend. Can you guys even conceive what that is like? Am I old because that was my reality? Probably. Yeah. Step above the telegraph, yes. So in order to process what's happening, and you can imagine a 19-year-old feel like God has led me to this wonderful young woman and tried everything I could to get back and to make something of this relationship, but no way, no how. And I feel it slipping away, and I'm heartbroken. I'm so distraught. So I go for a walk to this place on the base. It's a golf course on the base, and one of the holes goes along the, the coast and looks over, uh, looks over the beach, and I'll go there at night to just kind of get away and to pray and to find God. So there I am, sitting on this bench, overlooking the ocean with the beautiful starry night sky staring back at me, hearing the waves crashing on the shore, feeling the warm ocean breeze. And I cry out again to God, God, give me a sign. Help me, show me that 
I'm supposed to be with Rachel, that this, this is supposed to happen, that this is going to make sense. You're going to work this out. And as I waited in the sky, guess what? I saw nothing. And I was distraught. Heartbroken. Because the only thing that God showed me was an amazing, starry sky. The sound of waves crashing against the shore. The warm ocean breeze blowing up into my face. And I was too blind to see it. I wanted something. God wanted something else. And because of that, I couldn't see the blessing and the grace that he had for me in that moment. Signs exposed my unbelief. And it's not coincidental that I struggled spiritually, unlike I had previously for about 18 months, because I would not relent, and I kept trying to make that relationship happen. And God was saying, Jeremy, it's over, let it go. And I was like, no, God, I'm going to make this work. This morning, today, are you in a similar situation? Has God not come through for you? Has he let you down? Have you become indifferent and your affections for God just aren't there like they used to be? Like me, have you grown blind to see God's many blessings because of his refusal to give you the one blessing that you insist on that he apparently may not give you? I don't know that for sure. I can only surmise. Maybe he's asking you to wait, and maybe he's saying no, I don't know. But is it affecting your diligence and your trust in him? And if you sense it is, if this morning you sense, yes, Jeremy, this is getting in the way. I am not seeking God. I have not been available to him like I have been. The answer is real easy. All you have to do is acknowledge it and say, God, I'm sorry. I relent. James chapter 4, verse 8, gives us a beautiful verse, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible for those of us who find ourselves distant from God for whatever reason, and it's simply this. God tells us, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And all it takes is saying, being humble before him and saying, God, you win, you're in charge. I'm sorry, but I want to be close to you again. The third and final reason God gives us signs is to reveal his power. In Isaiah 37, we read that the powerful Assyrian army, which had literally devastated, destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel previously and was moving south, had invaded Judah, was besieging the capital city of Jerusalem and was about to conquer it. Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and God delivers them and he does so in a pretty substantial way. God sends uh, what they call an angel of destruction into the Assyrian camp and in one night kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That morning, the army commanders wake up, they see the devastation, and they immediately retreat. Jerusalem wakes up, they see the dead bodies and the retreating Assyrian army, and they're amazed that God, or that they have been delivered, that the Assyrian army is retreating. And at that moment, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. It's recorded in the book of 2 Kings, and this is what he says. And this shall be the sign for you that it was God who did this and not 
any other force or reason. It was only the hand of God. This year, eat what grows of itself, and then the second year, what springs of the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. What are you talking about, Jeremy? That has nothing to do with the army. Okay, give me a second here. Invading army comes in. How do they feed themselves? What do they do? They eat off the land. Not just that, but they're pretty reckless. Often you hear about the scorched earth policy of an invading army. They eat your food. They trash the, 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 the grounds, the, the farms, leaving destruction in their path. So in this case, while Israel, while Judah is delivered from Assyria, they've got a terrible year ahead of them of starvation and suffering because there is no food. The crops that were there are gone. The ability to plant new crops has been taken away from them. They're in deep kimchi. And what's the sign that God's going to give them? The crops will grow regardless. You're not going to plant, and the crops will grow. Oh, and just to show you my generosity, go a second year without planting, and I'll give you the second year for free too. Don't plant until the third year. And when you see the crops growing supernaturally that could not be explained, you will know that the God of Israel has delivered you from this invading army. That's exactly what happens. And God reveals his power to his people in the process through the signs that he has given. As I talked about earlier, the Pharisees were always asking for a sign. And they were ignoring the ones that they were given. And we speak negatively on them because they wouldn't see the signs. Well, it wasn't just Jesus' adversaries that asked for signs. Jesus had some friends and followers that also asked for signs that struggled with doubt and disbelief. John, the Apostle John, writes of one of these instances in John chapter 20 after Jesus rises from the dead, after he is seen by fellow disciples and other followers, and they attest of his being alive. There's a disciple named Thomas who just won't believe, and he makes a bold statement, say, and actually let's read, it. Let's read the statement here that he makes. It's in John chapter 20. Verse 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them in some room. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came through the walls, by the way, it's pretty spooky, and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger right here and see my hands and put out your hand and put it right here in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas's response was what? My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. You know what's happening here? Jesus isn't scolding Thomas. He's not calling him out. He's not isolating him. Jesus is loving Thomas in his disbelief. He's gentle and compassionate. Yes, he's also firm. Being firm does not mean you are not being compassionate towards someone 
He makes Thomas put his finger in his hand because he made the statement. He makes him put his hand in the side because he made the declaration. He wants Thomas to be a man of honor who made a declaration. He wants him to see it through. For many of us, our struggles with God are rooted in our growing doubts about many things, but primarily it's about the sign of Jonah, the resurrection. It's not that we don't mentally assent to or agree with the resurrection or even say, hey, I, I placed my faith in the resurrected Jesus. It's just the reality is, is we are living lives that are not built on the, rection, on the resurrection. In fact, they're built on any number of other things except Jesus Christ raised from the dead and us raised with him. Jesus is very much a spoke on the wheel and not the hub The resurrection is a thing that we associate with as Christians, but it's not the driving force in our life day to day. He wants to make his resurrection the hub, the driving force in our life today as his followers and as his children. This morning, are you more concerned with the election happening in a week and a half? Are you more concerned with COVID and the economy and the health and is it going to spike again and what's going to happen and is the economy ever going to recover and... Is there just a general fear because of all the uncertainty that's crowding in, that's overtaken our lives? Have we focused on and worshiped God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ for being raised from the dead first and foremost in our lives and when we wake up each morning? Because that is what Jesus is calling us to. To reassert the resurrection, the sign of Jonah as what makes us and drives us and inspires us. Nothing else, nothing less than that that this world might offer. And so this morning, together as a church family, I want to invite us to together proclaim that we are children of the resurrection. We're followers of Jesus. He has been raised up, and we are raised with him in Christ, with God. And let the Holy Spirit come in and refresh us anew as our soul and spirit is in dire need of. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the resurrection most of all. Shane's baptism, the rising, as Matt said, the rising out of the water, the most important thing that was given to us today, the visual symbol of your resurrection. And the reminder now through your word that we need to be people of the resurrection, the ultimate sign that you have given. And for those of us who are struggling with unbelief, who need our faith affirmed, who would love a fresh revelation of your power, I pray, however you choose to do it, that as we and as each of them reaches out to you, that you would meet them where they're at and you would reveal yourself to them. You would accomplish those purposes that signs are supposed to accomplish but I pray ultimately that it will lead them and me to the place of giving you ultimate glory because of the resurrection. And even as we suffer and struggle, we stumble through, that we have the confidence that because of that resurrection, you are holding our hand. And someday, next year, next decade, however long, you will eventually fulfill the resurrection and call us home to be with yourself forever. And that is the greatest thing that you could ever do for us.
So in the meantime, give us the grace and the help of your spirit to live in the resurrection each and every day and watch you transform us and we pray the world around us in the process. In Jesus' name.